Monday, and it is 7.30. It's time to hear live on the telephone with R.W. Estella and a word in edgewise. Good morning, R.W. Good morning, Allison. November's full moon tonight will not just be any old full moon. It will be a super moon. But even as a super moon, it won't be just any old super moon. It will be an extra super duper moon, owing to its closest proximity to Earth in almost 69 years. In fact, this morning as I began writing at 20 minutes after 6 o'clock, the moon was officially at its closest, a mere 221,523 miles away. The actual full moon will occur at 8.52 a.m. Higher than usual tides will follow in the next day or two, and another 18 years will pass before the moon is again this close to Earth, or in the technical vernacular, has this narrowest of perigees. November's full moon in general is known as the beaver moon or the frosty moon, but it also has a number of interesting American Indian names. For instance, November's full moon is known by the Abenaki at large as the freezing river maker moon, or by the Passamaquoddy simply as the freezing moon, by the Algonquin as the much white frost on grass moon, by the Hopi as the moon of the fledgling hawk, and by the Comanche as the heading to winter moon. Last week at this time, we did not have a super moon. What we had instead was super anticipation on many a voter's part, to the extent of super anxiety in not just a few cases. Millions of voters were wondering how things would shake out by the end of Tuesday. And by Wednesday, many of those voters found themselves dazed, stunned, wondering about everything. For me at that point, something mathematician and philosopher René Descartes said several hundred years ago came to mind. If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt, as far as possible, all things. Not so much for myself, but for the dozens of folks I would see this past Wednesday in the immediate aftermath of Election Day, Descartes' words resonated like the soft tapping fingers on a drumhead, keeping time to the rhythm of a million hearts wondering what might happen next. In his essay, Democracy, playwright George Bernard Shaw writes, democracy substitutes election by the incompetent many for the appointment of the corrupt few. Within that early 20th century time frame, architect Frank Lloyd Wright would echo Shaw's sentiment when Wright began using the term mobocracy to refer to the sorts of attitudes he found were impediments to the beneficial advancement of his fellow human beings. But those attitudes those of Shaw and Wright and millions of us who believe in the elevation and evolution of human consciousness so that all human beings are able to achieve their highest potential and greatest fulfillment are certainly not the prevailing attitudes of almost half of the folks who voted in the presidential election this past Tuesday. Almost half is the operative phrase here because, as most of us know by now, the Republican candidate did not win the popular vote in the election, and the popular vote was nearly a 50-50 split percentage-wise, with the heftier half going to the Democratic candidate. Not since the official civil war of a century and a half ago has our continuing unofficial civil war 
been so pronounced as it is now. And in the weeks to come, many of us will be looking at exactly how that came to be and what we might do to effectively live with it while we work toward diffusing the incentives for that civil war. Stay tuned to future editions of A Word in Edgewise as we explore this multifaceted topic. For more on Omain, here's to a great day. 